0: What's good? Welcome back to Black & Published, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, an award-winning author, two-time Emmy Award-winning producer, publisher, all that good stuff. Today, we're talking with Janae Darden, author of When a Purple Rose Blooms. Janae Darden is an Oakland native, She has reported for NPR, Time Magazine, the Los Angeles Times, Ebony, Huffington Post, the Southern Poverty Law Center's Teaching Tolerance Magazine, and more. The National Book Foundation awarded Janae a Summer Writing Fellowship in 2003. And her first book, When a Purple Rose Blooms, is a collection of poetry and essays about Janae's experience with Black womanhood, published by Nomadic Press, In 2018, Janae is passionate about African American erotic art and women's sexual empowerment. She wrote a groundbreaking thesis called Under the Covers The Popularity and Debate Over Black Erotic Literature. Another passion of hers is mental health awareness. She is the former host of the podcast. Mental Health and Wellness Radio, which earned her a New America Media Award for Outstanding Community Reporting for Radio. And she's featured in the anthology, We've Been Too Patient, Voices from Radical Mental Health, which was published by Penguin Random House. Janae blends her passion for journalism and hip voice on her website and podcast, Coco Fly. Frustrated with the lack of diverse stories on women and people of color, Janae covers women, race, sexuality, wellness, and much more. The daughter of former OJ Simpson prosecutor, Christopher Darden, Janae holds a BA in Ethnic Studies from UC San Diego and a master's degree in journalism from the University of Southern California. She is a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated and the National Association of Black Journalists. In this conversation, we discuss growing up insecure while absorbing and being affected by colorism, writing from the heart on mental health and wellness, the burdens Black women need to put down, and growing up with what became an infamous last name. Black and Published Family, welcome Junaid to the show. Thank you Janae, for joining me on Black and Published today. Um Thank I you, always Nikisha. You're very very welcome. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests when did you know that you were a writer?
1: Um that's a great question. I, I think I knew I was a writer when I was really little and I wrote a paper. I was like maybe in third grade or something. And wrote, maybe even a little older, maybe sixth grade, but I wrote a, I wrote a paper for class. Yeah, I would say sixth grade. And I wrote a paper and I had my mom look at it and she made these changes that I didn't quite agree with to the paper and so <laughs> and so uh, but you know I was like she's a grown-up she knows best so I took you know I turned in the paper and my teacher was like you know why didn't you do x y y z you know and I said well I did and I said my mom changed it and she was like don't listen to your mom <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> she's like you know what you're doing and so I think then I kind of was like okay
0: Okay. So then how did that then take you into your career as a journalist and a writer? Like, did that spark? The, was that the spark for you in third grade? Or did you have to go back and forth between what you wanted to do? Or was that just it? Uh, well, I had
1: started journaling when I was seven. So I, I liked writing from an early age. And then, you know, I kind of for a while, it was either I was going to be a, a a therapist or, or a journalist. Um, it was one of the two. Luckily, with with what I do, because I do a lot of stories on mental health, I've been able to to merge the two. But um, yeah, as I got older, like I always was interested. You know, I wanted to write for the school of paper. I was the editor of the yearbook, so I was always interested in some type of journalism and, and media. Um, when I was little, my grandmother asked her for to buy me a recorder for it was either Christmas or my birthday, and so I was going around you know, interviewing people in the (laughs) the family, just recording people. So I had, I always had this interest, this interest in it for a long time.
0: Okay. So then how did that take you through, through school? And so like, where did you land in like your first career where you were writing and doing that work?
1: So I, um, the, the first journalism gig, if you I had was, I believe when I was in college, I had interned at a, um, uh, interior Decorating Magazine. So that was like my kind of my first time working in magazine uh, or just in journalism. And after I did that, I liked it. Uh, I know I didn't want to do interior design, but I liked I liked working at a magazine or just working in media. And so I, I, after I left there and then I, but I still was kind of on the fence about what I wanted to do. So I graduated. Then I was teaching. I was a T.A., excuse me, for elementary school. And because uh, then at that time, I was like, OK, I will either teach or like write or something. And and teaching is, a, you know, it's a great profession and shout out to all the teachers. But I knew it wasn't for me. And so then while I was working as a T.A., I would write for small publications in the Bay Area. Um, and that's where I really I was like, I want to do this. I definitely want to do this. So then I went to journalism school. I went to USC in Los Angeles. So I moved from the Bay. Uh, back down to Southern California and um, yeah. And I went to journalism school. And then from there, after I finished journalism school, I got my master's in journalism. And then I went to work for NPR um, on a national level. I was a producer for a show called News and Notes, which targeted, which was like did stories on African-Americans. And so I I did that for a while. And then I worked for Marketplace, which does personal finance. I've worked, I've had so many different beats um, over, over the years, but um yeah, and then it, it and it led me to where I am now.
0: And so like you have this hard train, hard news trained background with producing for NPR. I did television production, so I, I kind of know what that life is like. Because mm-hmm. um, we had a radio component, a talk radio component, and um and have been doing all these hard news beats, but yet your writing your book is creative because it's fiction. and I mean, it's poetry and essays. But then you also have pieces in anthologies and things like that. That I guess kind of pursue that creative avenue. So, what is your preference? Is it the journalism and like the hard hitting, heavy newsy type of stuff, or is it more of the creative aspect?
1: The, the great thing about the work I do in radio. So right now, I work for a uh, I work for an NPR affiliate in in the Bay Area called KALW. And um, uh, you know, we can we have longer pieces, than maybe what you would hear on on NPR, and and our sound is is different, even though it's NPR affiliate. And so, like, it's more infused with sound, more infused with music. And so, I can I can weave in that creativity as far as how I package it, while still putting in the facts and and the information. So I I, I can do both. I I have to do both for for me, as far as like I need the creative outlet. Um, but I also too, I need to, to you know to write about the facts and, and 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 you know sometimes I need a break from news and I just need to write poetry and and <laughs> and read lots of fiction and I, I interview artists too so I get to read a lot of fiction and and take that in so so I like both I, I I like both yeah but I like that I can weave in the creativity side into my news production
0: so has poetry always been like your go to creative outlet
1: it's been one of them yeah definitely. Definitely. And for a while when I was in journalism school, because I was so fixed on trying to master the craft of journalism writing, it was hard for me to even write poetry. Uh, like I would just try and my brain was was just like, no, you know, you need to work on news. And so it was, it was where I missed it. And then after I finished journalism school, um, moved back to the Bay Area where I'm from. And um, then I started just really writing poetry again and getting into the poetry scene up here.
0: And so what does that do for you when you're writing your poems and and you said getting into the poetry scene so I assume you're going to cafes and performing or doing stuff like that what does it do for you
1: and curating I curate events too it's it's I mean it's therapeutic um you know you know I'll journal if if I just kind of need to get stuff off off, you know out of my system or you know and then and sometimes I'll, I'll write poetry and the great thing about poetry, too, is that, you know, it reaches other people, too, as well. So, like, when you read poetry um, in cafes or if I read from the libraries or whatever or book festivals, just to see how it reaches people, just to see how, like, you putting your emotions on that page, your thoughts on the page creatively. Um, and then, yes, you don't have to deal with the, the journalism rules, right? Um, and so you can be as creative and just out of the box with it. And then when you read it and then other people may resonate, it's really, really beautiful.
0: So I, I'm reading through your book um, about halfway through When a Purple Rose Bloomed. Tell me how that collection came together because it's poetry and then it's essays and it's kind of like your reflections. So how did that how did you piece that together?
1: I was working on pitching another book. And I wasn't getting any traction with it. And so, um, and I had been writing poetry for a while. I mean, this book is probably about maybe 20 years in the making. I just didn't know I was making a book <laughs> when I was writing all these pieces. And I was talking to a mentor and he said, Janae, he was, he's like, you, got, you have all this poetry and you, you know, he said, you blog too. And, you know, he said, you've written so much stuff. He was like, why don't you just put that all into a book? And I was like, oh. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so and so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't realize what you got. You know, you think you don't have enough, and it's all right there in front of you. And so, and so, I put I put that all together in 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 this book.
0: And so, you, it it came out in twenty eighteen from Nomadic Press, which is an independent mm-hmm. and like nonprofit publishing company. So, how does that work? Um, it's it's a small it's a small press in in Oakland.
1: Um, and uh, the great thing about nomadic, I know a mainstream publisher would have published this book because it is, you know, it's poetry and essays. Um and so i I love nomadic press because they're so willing to take risks, and we have such a diverse range of authors. Um, We have authors of color. We have authors who are trans. We have authors who are queer. We have authors who are disabled. We have authors who are, you know, um, elderly. I mean, the the publisher, they're willing to take a risk and put voices out of people who are marginalized and whose voices you don't hear often in literature.
0: So it sounds like it was a very collaborative process to to publish When a Purple Rose Blooms and not just, you know, turning your manuscript and we give you a release date and we take it through a bunch of edits.
1: Um no, and and the thing is they they host events in Oakland, so they knew me, so they knew my work too as well. So yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like the tragedy. I mean, I still had to submit something. and you know, they wouldn't, they're not just going to publish, you know, anyone anything. but um <laughs> you, know, you still got to come with it. But just the fact that that they're so open-minded to to who they publish is is really wonderful
0: and reading some of the pieces in the book, you're very open about. Your, your youth, your childhood growing up in Oakland, uh, the girl with the pink bedroom. I love that. I love the references to your grandmother who had the the hair salon in the laundry room. and so Avon from the kitchen table, both of my grandmothers had hair salons in their laundry room. So I was like, oh, I know I know that kind of grandmother and then but also you're also open about your insecurities or you know just the burden that black women carry. I think I was reading through one, and my question became, what is God to a black woman or who or what is God to a black woman? So what kind of informed the poems that you've put into this book?
1: Just life, you know, and, and you, you said so much of it. When I was growing up, I was dealing with a lot of issues with with colorism. Um, it affected me mentally. I was bullied and. um it affected me for a long time, from I would say, you know, middle school to to the end of high school. I wasn't bullied in high school, but but definitely middle school, I was bullied, and so it, it just it broke me. Um, and I carried this this self hatred. I didn't want to be white. I wanted to be like I want to look like Vanessa Williams. I wanted to look like Jasmine Guy. You know, if I was a young woman today, you know, well, I mean, I'm a still there but you know, twenty-some, I may want well to look like Zendaya, right? <laughs> you know, know, today I want to look like Zendaya. And so, so I I carried that. And, and, you know, I didn't, and I didn't like the way I looked, and, um, and then because I didn't like the way I looked, I didn't like who I was. Mm. And so, um, and, and, and it, it caused me to have depression, mental health. And I write a lot about mental health issues, mental health runs and issues, you know, runs in the family too, as well. So that's where I may have picked some of that up. Um, but, um, Yeah. So and so that all came out, that insecurity, that struggling to self-love, that all came out in different ways and in different, you know, through different phases of my life.
0: And, um, yeah, I think that jumps off the page from the first poem, Self-Esteem. I finished that first stanza and I was like, nope, I'm not dealing with Janae today. (laughs) I'm going to put this book down and I'm going to come back to this another day because um, the line her daddy split right after the doctor said it's a girl. I was like, Mm-mm, not today. I can't do this, not in the headspace. But then as I got through that poem and continued reading the, the last line of that poem, you know, because when looking for self-esteem, where does one begin? I was like, oh, here we go. And you talk about mental health and you talk about, you know, all the things that try to, to break Black women. It's like the world wants to see Black women bowed, but we refuse to do so and i always i feel this like undergirding of pain beneath beneath the poems and the essays and i just wanted to know was that intentional or was that just you just had to get it off your chest and and put it out there
1: i mean it was both you know it was just it, i'm writing from the heart you know i'm i'm writing from the heart and that that poem was inspired by i don't know if you remember several years ago it was an incident um, at a public school in delaware where these girls were fighting over a boy and in the in the in the girls' bathroom and one of the girls, she hit the other one and, I, and, it, and then she hit her head on the sink and she and she died from that. And and I and I wrote about that poem. I wrote that poem because, because people were saying they just need self-esteem. They need self-esteem. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you need self-esteem, but something else is going on, right? Is deep? Why, why do you have such you know, strong validation that you would be violent? you know, and jump somebody over, over a boy. And, and so that's, that was what inspired that piece, you know, as far as where do you, you know, where do you look for self-esteem and, and, yeah, that's why I was like, is it in beauty cream? You know, it's Oprah giving away her favorite things. Do I get at the swap meet? You know, it's
0: like- what? You know, you said the sloss and swap meet. I about died. I said, oh, she's, she's funny. <laughs> you
1: know, it is it is a funny piece, but you know, but yeah, it's just like, where am I supposed to get? Because it's deeper than that, right? I was like, it's, it, you know, self-esteem, yeah, that's an issue. But if you're in a world that's constantly trying to invalidate you, you know, it's 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 a larger issue.
0: <laughs> yeah, another one that struck me is my strength where you're making the the connection that you know black women aren't strong because they necessarily want to be but because they have to be which makes me want to ask you what is the what, what is a future or what does it look like where the world is a soft place for black women to land
1: that's a, that's a great question I, I i think for that to happen in part is black women putting ourselves first And I'm glad I'm seeing that, Um, you know, I'm I'm seeing more of that, I think since, you know, um, Breonna Taylor was killed, as far as being more vocal about, um, you know, black women needing to be protected. And and I think, you know, I've been saying for a long time, we can't wait for anybody to to save us, but black women. Um, And I know we've looked to, you know, maybe like more of a white feminist movement, I know we've looked to to black men and that's not to say they haven't had some kind of role too in helping us as well. But I think, you know, black women, we have to, we have to start putting ourselves first and, and acknowledge, and, and I'm seeing more of that. We're having more of those conversations. Um, and so like I, I remember, you know, Meg the Stallion, she performed at Saturday Night Live and she, you know, she put stuff up about black women. So I'm happy to see, you know, especially younger black women saying, Hey, you know, we need to practice self-care. I love what the sisters doing, the nap bishop, um, where she, you know, she's talking about resting. You know, I'm hearing sisters talking about rest and, and we need to rest because <laughs> we we we've been working We're tired. Hard. we for centuries, we've been working hard <laughs> and, and carrying and carrying the weight. Um, and so I think for us to get to a place where, where things can, can soften, you know, fortunately, yes, society, society, we're going to have to fight, but I think we need to, to start with us and, you know, putting ourselves first. You don't have, you know, people calling you asking to do all kinds of stuff. You can say no, you know, you can, you can say no. um, And speaking up about, you know, we've seen a lot of racial violence. It's not just targeting brothers. It's targeting us too. And we need to, and, and to acknowledge it does not mean we don't love black men, you know, and to acknowledge, the issues that we have doesn't mean we don't love black men, but we need to we need to speak up for ourselves and and the things that are hurting us, so that we can have wellness and health and peace of mind and rest and can sleep at night.
0: And I think that comes across in your piece, um, warriors in dresses, mm-hmm. which in I was like as I was reading it, I was like, oh. I know these women and you can talk about the church suits and the hats and the press and curl and all that, but it's even in all of that, or even in the do-rags and in being service workers as in maids and cooks and all of that, whatever the case may have been, black women have always been the foundation of the liberate of the black liberation movement, no matter what form it's taken, civil rights, black power, whatever. But the men always are in the forefront. And so I felt like that was a commentary on that as well, especially yeah. with you being from Oakland. So it's like you know black power was 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 all around you
1: yeah the yeah the black Panther movement yeah I mean and and it's, and to say that you know there's power in in the feminine you know and 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 yeah big mama big mama is powerful you know and and yeah big mama was going out there getting votes and getting voters and rallying people and or just thinking about this you know back in the day um you know when 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 um people in the civil rights movement were traveling you know you had women cooking you know, while they're traveling, they would go to the house and women because somebody needs to feed them. Right. I mean, that's part of the movement, you know, and and yeah, and there were people behind the scene, they couldn't speak at certain events because they were women, but they were organizing these events back in the day. And so, yeah, you know, there's power in a feminine, like you say, in the in the do rag, even, you know, in Atlanta with the voting, the strippers were doing, you know, ads and stuff on Facebook and trying to get people to vote. I mean, that's that's power. That's, that's that's power, you know. And so just and just honoring that. So yeah, the church suit lady, the sister on the pole, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they do the work.
0: So in owning your power and accepting your feminine, but also being mindful that you need to care for yourself, how are you putting yourself first?
1: Definitely, and and that was something I had to work through, you know, because I was especially with my grandparents when they were sick and I was um, one of their caretakers. And so that's when I really realized how the importance of, you know, putting yourself first. And that's not saying, you know, not taking care of them, but like I was helping to take care of them. And I wasn't their sole caretaker, but I was, one, I was helping to take care of them. And then I was working a full-time job. So I was getting requests at my job for things to do when I should have said no, you know, or maybe just asked for a break but I was trying to be superwoman, you know, this, <laughs> this person on the cover. That's why the boots are off because I'm tired.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense.
1: That's why I was like, I'm hanging up that suit. <laughs> um, but yeah, just for me, just learning how to say, you, you know, no, like I, I, I need to rest. I need to take a break. I can't do that. I need to ask for help. You know, I, I used to have a lot of pride. My grandfather had to put me, pull me aside and say, you know, stop being so prideful. And if you need help, just ask for it. Um, and and so those those things have helped me be better at taking care of myself and not feeling shame for asking for help or just saying, you know, right now I'm weak right now. I need support.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's hard for women and black women, especially to learn that no is a complete sentence and that asking for help is OK. Like those two things, I feel like are, are are our Achilles heel, like we, we can say no and it be all right. And whoever thinks it's not all right, that's a them issue, not an us issue. And then asking for help, because we are often portrayed as super women and larger than life and these magical Negroes who never need help or right. anything like that. And I mean, that's even in the narrative in media, when you look at, you know, scandal, we didn't see her broken very often. She was always saving the day. Right. So I think. But
1: then drinking a gallon of
0: wine at home,
1: right? (laughs) Yes, in the biggest
0: glasses. (laughs) All right. So we've been talking about this book. I want you to read something from it. I'm going to tee it up with the description and then I'm going to let you take it away. So, Um, uh When a Purple Rose Blooms is a womanist collection of poetry and essays that reflect writer Janae Darden's journey through Black womanhood. Through heart and humor, Darden engages us in conversations about race love sex and mental health like a rose being a black woman in this society comes with its thorns and beauty darden brings that complexity to every page go ahead
1: self-esteem men believe in her since she entered the world her daddy split right after the doctor said it's a girl her first boyfriend left her for alexis her second boyfriend left her for dallas texas Her third boyfriend left her for Travis. Her fiance left her for the bottle and the nice girl on 85th with the blonde weed. All she knew about men were they lie. They leave and their hearts had a short attention span for her love. What's wrong with me? She cried to her friends. What's wrong with me? Girl, they say, you just need some self-esteem. Huh? Self-esteem? Where do you get that? She asked. Is it something you buy off the rack? Do they sell it at Big Lots next to discounted baby fat? hmm self-esteem does it come in a lotion bottle or a jar like beauty cream has oprah given away her favorite things can i get it at the sloss and swap meet or durant square is it easy to put on like a clip of my hair wait hold up hold up do it come with my obamacare do i eat it do i wear it, do i hang it on the wall is it available year-round winter spring summer fall is it free do i have to pay don't play does it fall from the sky or grow from the ground maybe mine isn't some lost and found. Is it something I can hold? Will it make me feel good? Do they make it for rich girls and us girls in the hood? Is there a commercial for it, a jingle, a song? Can I order it from Amazon? Get some self-esteem. You make it seem easy, she said to her friends. You make it sound like it's the answer without a doubt. But how is self-esteem the key in a world that constantly tries to lock Black women out? Now, this is where the poem ends, because when looking for self-esteem, where does one begin? This piece is called Joy when times get tough i go hard on getting joy call the girls to go out play janelle monet electric ladies cruise to rooftop parties drink bacardi sip on some goose at the family beach barbecue kissing the new babies dancing to 90s hip-hop and flip-flops cupid shuffle electric slide. see my cousin pull up in his new ride give him the wakanda salute check out the friend he brought oh he's really cute touch up my fenty gloss sashay my african skirt Flash a bright smile, I'm ready to flirt. Blue skies, golden sand, sun rays glowing on my skin. Thanking God for the melanin, nappy hair. I care loving me in braids, weave and afro. Gotta carry the self-love everywhere I go. Essence Fest to Paris, Comic-Con to Johannesburg. Saturday nights on the Vegas Strip to Sunday mornings. Learning the word. After service, visit Grandma Jean for Girl Talk and her spicy collard greens. She slices soft, warm cornbread with a crispy bottom crust. Love baked in an iron cast skillet. I don't take these moments for granted. Living with attitude and gratitude, I'm queening. Only caring about what I think, I'm queenin'. Living my best life despite the strife, I'm queenin'. Accepting I stand out in the crowd while keeping my mama proud, I'm queenin'. Not gonna let this world keep me down. I'm queening, I'm queening, I'm queening.
0: You better, you better be out here queening. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, ma'am, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So where I stopped is the essay Growing Up Darden. So, and since you included it and it's a line in your bio, I have to ask, when Mm -hmm. all that kicked off in 94 with the OJ Simpson case and your dad and all of that, Mm-hmm. Where were you in your life, and how did it affect you?
1: I was in high school.
0: Um,
1: I was in high school at then. I was—I think I was like a sophomore, or I was going into my junior year. And it, the way it affected me, it was hard. It was a very hard time because um, I was—you know—I grew up in Oakland, I grew up specific, specifically in East Oakland. So I was attending a predominantly black and Latino Latinx uh, high school, and so you know, so you you have you know people they knew people had been mistreated by the police and um and so you know there was there was some anger luckily the the students I went to school with they were very they still they didn't they didn't agree what my father was doing but they knew me they were able to put you know to, to make two distinctions, which I'm so grateful for. And, you know, some people said some, some snide remarks, uh, but it was hard seeing the way he was treating the media. And for a while it turned me off to journalism. Mm. Um, that's kind of why I was on the fence for a while going into journalism because I saw with how the media was reacting. I mean, that was like the beginning of like the 24 hour news cycle. And so, you know, Getting, I was getting calls on my phone and I was in high school, I was, you know, I was getting calls. From, I had, a, I had a, 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 a phone in my bedroom. And so I was getting calls from from press wanting to do interviews. And I'm like 15, right? 15, 16. And yeah, yeah. And and you're a minor. You know, I'm not, right. I'm a, yeah. And they were calling me for interviews. And, and that's so like,
0: unethical. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Yeah. To continue.
1: Um, my uncle's ex-wife, she sold my winter ball picture to the tabloids um so I was in the tabloids and I was called like a secret love child I wasn't a secret and uh my uncle he was he was dying of AIDS and they were trying to get into the hospital room and get interviews with him so I just saw all this really unethical practices and somebody called my grandparents and like how do you feel about your son dying of AIDS I mean so it was just really because they wanted to get an interview about it so I just I just really saw a very nasty side of the media and I was like if that's what it takes to be a journalist I was like I don't I don't know if I want to do that but Mm. you know I tried other jobs like I said you know I was I was a peer counselor in college i I worked as a TA so I kind of was sampling different professions and and you know I still had this this in this side was like do journalism and write and so and so I did
0: is it do you think that because you know the 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 truly ugly side of journalism that so much of your work now kind of focuses on wellness and mental health in in, in that space of, of the industry
1: uh not necessarily I, the 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 wellness and mental health comes from just my own struggles with wellness and mental health and and stigma so after you know I had finished journalism school I was working in NPR in LA and some other spots and then I moved to the Bay Area because the market crashed and so I I was looking for a job you know and um I was, like, I couldn't pay anybody to hire me for a job because you know it was a recession. And so there was a, a, a nonprofit organization in Oakland that um, was funded by the county that addressed mental health issues. And so they needed somebody to uh, work in their communications department. And so I applied for that job. And I ended up and, and something you never hear, you know you've worked the news. They're like, we got funding for a podcast. Here's the money, do whatever you want. We just need to do to make the podcast.
0: We trust you.
1: You know, have- <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right?
0: you, you lost know, a kid. Like- we got the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that too. We we're funded through the county. Like, we got them, you know, we have to make this deliverable. So, you know, they're like, make it how you want. I was like, what? Um, and so, and so that's what I did. So, that's where the mental health comes from is me, you know, my own issues. And when I did that podcast, I disclosed my mental health. History and I, because I said I can't, I can't interview people about their mental health. It's not fair. i mean interviewing you about your mental health, you know, for this for this podcast for the county, and I don't disclose. and You're i, I, and I, didn't, I didn't, Yeah, I, I didn't feel right doing that, and so and so I disclosed and I learned so much working at that organization just about the mental health industry and, and working with people, um you know, who had mental health issues. And most of the people I worked with, they they lived in Oakland, they were low income. Um, people of color. So I worked with, you know, a population and these people also, you know, they were advocating for, for wellness. So they were a- advocates too. the people we serve. So I worked with a population that often does not get discussed about when it comes to mental health. So that's why I, I bring those stories in.
0: As you continue on and as a journalist and as a poet, how do you see your writing? Do you just see it as you know, what you do and then there's the creative side or is it just really just a part of you?
1: I would say it's a part of me. Um, yeah, it's 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 I feel like working in news, you know, it's an it's an honor to work in news. It's an honor that somebody trusts me to do a story. Like I'm I'm working on a, a, a documentary, a radio documentary on a woman who she's an abolitionist. She literally goes out in the streets in Oakland and rescue girls who are being sex trafficked. Wow! Um, and so you know, it's a huge issue in our community. Kind of going back to what we were saying about speaking up about things that are hurting us. We are sex trafficked at high numbers, um, and so the fact that somebody trusts me to tell me th- to tell me their story and I translate and put that out into the world, um, you know, for me that's an honor and privilege. So for me, being a journalist is not something I do. You know, I, I, I see it as a service um that I feel blessed and fortunate to do and and poetry you know the fact and I never thought like oh I would be a poet you know I never that never even came to mind and so and so the fact that I can do that and when I and when people contact me because they read the book and something resonated with them or you know somebody may have said you know I read your book and you know I'm not invincible and I said no I said I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna do all of that I'm not gonna you know go do stuff for the church picnic and then you know and work extra hours at the job if I don't have to you know do all this so I said no to some things or I are arrested and um or just like I felt your pain too. I I, I dealt with colorism and and um you know whether it's somebody they're light skinned or dark skinned you know I I dealt with colorism and and I what you say resonate with me. So that makes me that makes me feel happy too that whatever is in this book or whatever struggles I have, you know, maybe some people have found some healing in me saying, you know, you ain't the only one.
0: So what's what? What do you think will be next for you going forward in both arenas, creatively and in, in journalism?
1: Oh, well, it's funny because it's the pandemic, so that's keeping us busy. <laughs> 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 as far as 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 far as reporting, um, next, you know, I, I've been for creatively, I, I've been trying to think about what the you know what the next book would be about, um, and I don't know if I want to do something a little more Afrofuturistic you know, and, and blended with with social issues, which, I mean, you know, a lot of sci-fi, Afrofuturism, all that good stuff is social issues in it anyway. So I'm kind of leaning towards that maybe the next book um, that, that's, you know, collection. Um, so that's kind of what I'm feeling, but I want to do, I want to write a novel one day. I just, it's not right now. I don't have, it's not in my spirit to do it. It's like, you know, it'll come to me like, ah, you know, I want, I want to do this. Uh, so it hasn't come yet in my head. I want to do it, but in my heart, it hasn't that news hasn't kicked in like this is what you need to write about if you write a novel so um yeah so those are some of the things all
0: right I want to transition into a quick speed round before we get to the last question of the episode so what is your favorite book
1: oh my gosh <laughs> like I don't have children but that's like <laughs> trying to say pick your children oh that's a hard question um I don't know what's my favorite I can't answer that Give me your top five. <laughs> okay, I can I do top five. Um, Song of Solomon. I love that book. Um, Where the Sidewalk Ends by um, Shel Silverstein, and you could see the influence in in the poetry. Um, Black Girl uh, in Paris. I love that book. My um, Angelou her 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 collection of of poetry and let's see number number five um i would say maybe waiting to exhale
0: taylor mcmillan
1: yeah because definitely her work has had an influence on me so those are some of my favorites but yeah it's many
0: more and she's in in the bay area too correct
1: she she used to live here. I think she moved, but she was in the Bay Area for a long time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, who was your favorite author?
1: Um, uh, some of my favorites. Again, Toni Morrison, Isabel Allende. Um, yeah, Terry McMillan's works. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think who else. Octavia Butler. I've been reading more of her. Um, and I'm feeling her work right now. So those are, those are some of my feelings.
0: What is your favorite superhero movie? Ooh, that's a good
1: one. Um, definitely Black Panther is up there. Cause I still like, that's my therapy. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> that's my therapy. And, and, um, you know, I would say the the first Batman um, with Michael Keaton and I can't name one, and uh, these are more nostalgic for me. And then Superman with Christopher Reeve. So,
0: um, so DC or Marvel?
1: Marvel, definitely right now. Marvel's kicking butt. Like <laughs> right no, they are. But I'm happy we got a bat, We had a black bad woman. I'm happy about that. <laughs> um,
0: your favorite blues song? My favorite blues. Song. You said you like to dance to blues. I do. I do. I do like to dance to
1: blues. Um, What's my favorite blues song? Hmm. I can't think of my favorite blues song specifically. Right now, I'm a cheat. One of my favorite blues artists is out of Oakland. His name is Fantastic Negrito. Um, And he's won the blues Grammy a couple of times the last few years. And there's a song where he says, I keep on knocking, but I can't get in. And I resonated with that song for a long time because when I was trying to break through in the journalism, I was like, I'm knocking. Uh, but if, if listen to anything by Fantastic Negrito. Anything by him. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Legacy has a line like that on her second album in the song, Knocking.
1: Oh, OK. And then Legacy's from, she's
0: from Oakland, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... Where was I in my questions? I done went off on a whole you said <laughs> Yes. You um, blues. Yes. So you say you love the color pink. Hot pink or pale pink? Hot. Uh, what's the best thing about Oakland? Ah, the, culture. the name, culture. Name one Bay Area artist you think everyone should know. Well, I just
1: said fantastic and Grito.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then what's the biggest misconception people have about you when they realize who's your father?
1: Um, <laughs> what I've noticed from people is that I, cause I didn't used to tell people for a long time. Cause I didn't know how they were reacting. You know, we would get death threats. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I've gotten some too. Um, this is that, if I tell them they're surprised because they're like, I like you. (laughs) And they're like, you relate to who? Or they're like, would you, you black and you like black people. And so they're shocked that I love, you know, I love black culture. I love our people. And then they're, they're, they're shocked that, you know, Yeah, I've had people literally tell me I I can't believe it because I like you and you're such a nice person. So,
0: (laughs) you just threw the casual death threat in there, and I about fell out my seat. Yeah, I mean, how have you overcome all of that? Because that sounds traumatic. Like, are you okay? Thank (laughs) you. Like I know it was forever ago, but it keeps coming back up. It's like, yeah. with, like with your essay about the um the People versus O.J. Simpson on FX, and then there was the, the documentary. So I'm like, are, are you okay? <laughs> um,
1: you know, what? I I am, and you know, because I I went to therapy, you know, and he, he he's done other cases where people have gotten mad, and so um and so you know I get sometimes I get the brunt of it, and I think that's you know misogyny. I think it's just because like I'm out there, and I think because I'm a woman, it's misogynoir too. So I think sometimes I get <laughs> attacked for things he does, um. But um, yeah, I just I went to a lot of therapy. You know, I I I tell people it was the trial for me began after the verdict, because then you you go through something, and that's anybody go through trauma. You go through trauma, and then you got to sit with it. So you know, I have therapy. I have you know, I have supportive family. I have friends, um, and so you know, when stuff like that pops off, I have people, you know, that got that have my back, um, and that emotionally and spiritually, you know, support me. But thank you for asking. My, OK, Um, you know,
0: I just you just threw the casual death. And I'm like, that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not normal.
0: It's not, that's that's not, just not, like that's not normal. Yeah, so, it's like, not. What has been the biggest lesson you have learned in your own healing? That's a great question. Um I, The biggest
1: lesson I learned in my own healing is that. It, you know, this will pass and learning to let go. Cause I held on for a lot of stuff. I held on held on to a lot of stuff for a long time. And so it took me a long time from, you know, some of that stuff that happened. Cause like I said, the, the trial, my trial began after the verdict. Um and so learning to let go and and mm-hmm. you know, let go, let God um release, you know, you know, learn from the past and and, and go forward. And just and to accept that you know you were hurt that pain may be totally one hundred percent not gone and maybe two percent left you know and just acknowledging that and and having compassion with myself um, and that helped with my healing tremendously is when I learned to just release.
0: How does all of that inform your writing? Because I noticed the undergirding of pain in it, and you talk about it from from you know being younger. But then also this is a who you are and who you're related to and what happened then also informs that, too, as you just said. So how is all of that then poured into your writing that comes out on the page creatively and in your work? Um, hmm.
1: I, well, definitely with with journalism, um, dealing with the media, you know, I definitely practice ethical reporting just because I know how it feels you know people don't people don't trust journalists in the media and I totally I know why personally <laughs> so you know I, I get it and so I was I took I take being ethical as a journalist very seriously because I know how it is when you're misrepresented um and and so and like I said you know when I interview people they're telling me their story or when I'm reporting a story, you know, I'm putting information out to the public. And so I keep that in mind because I know what, what I went through when there was, you know, lies and people selling photos and I'm a minor and you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: And they call me you um, on your bedroom phone. <laughs>
1: right, call me on my bedroom phone. About, Will you do an interview? Tell us about your daddy. You know, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> seriously. So yeah, you know, if I interview you a youth, I'm like, where where are your parents? You know, your guardians. Um so so that informs me and and just with the creative writing, as far as with the poetry, it's you know feeling comfortable with what I want to disclose, you know, and just and 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 feeling the power of my own voice and having autonomy, you know um I don't have to tell everything, you know, there's some things I want to keep to myself, and that's and I know we live in an age where people tell every you know, seems like people tell everything, but you know, I, I tell what I feel comfortable telling. I tell what I feel comfortable sharing. Um, And just hoping that whatever I share and tell, you know, it, it touches other people.
0: That's beautiful. So my last question for our interview today is you are just a storyteller, whether it's through journalism, whether it's through your poetry, whether it's through your own personal essays. So when you're dead and gone, what would you like someone to tell about your legacy as a storyteller?
1: Wow. I have never been asked this question. Um, <laughs> I, I I, hope that they say that my stories were compelling. I hope that they say that my stories made a difference in people's lives, whether it's through, you know, policy changes, whether it's through how we treat people who have mental health conditions or who are trauma survivors, um, whether it's through, you know, her stories was part of, you know, um, artistry and, and media that inspire to take care of themselves and to love themselves even more. Um, I hope they see that the writing I, I did um, was a gift.
0: Amen. Thank you, Janae. Thank you so much. You are very, very welcome. Big thank you to Janae Darden for being here on Black & Published today. Make sure you check out her latest collection of poetry and essays, When a Purple Rose Blooms, out right now from Nomadic Press. And if you're not following Janae on the socials, please follow her. She's at Coco Fly on Twitter. That's C-O-C-O-A Fly on Twitter. And again, Coco Fly on Instagram. But that one is C-O-C-A Fly. Coco Fly on Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black & Published, which by now I think you should, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. While you're there, leave us a rating, a review, a comment. Tell us who you'd like to hear on the show next. You can also follow Black & Published at Black & Published on Twitter and Instagram. That's B-L-K & Published. And if you want to keep up with me, head to my website, newrights.com, N-E-W-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nikisha underscore Elise. That's our show. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace.